our customers actually came to us and demanded that we implement a minimum 56 to 60 hours. And I told them, no, we are playing the long game. We are not going to burn out our employees and we are uh, we're going to operate with our own values and we are going to prevent turnover of skilled people. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Our guest on today's show is Adam Wiltsey, Director of Operations at Vanamatic, a third-generation, 103-employee screw machine shop in Delphus, Ohio. Adam says that unlike many machining companies right now, Vanamatic isn't suffering from a shortage of quality employees. One of the company's strategies for maintaining a loyal and talented workforce is its flexible working hours. Depending on job type, Vanamatic's employees can choose to work as few as 35 hours and up to 60 hours in a work week, and tailor their schedules to accommodate their lives outside of the shop. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to have Adam Wiltsey, Director of Operations at Vanamatic in Delphus, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks for having me, Noah. Yeah, this is awesome. I just sold Vanamatic two Lyco CNC screw machines recently, and that was really how I got to know Adam. And turns out that his company has some really interesting things they're doing as far as um, employees, and it fit perfectly with this season. So here we are. And just to start, please give me a quick summary of Vanamatic. So people just, you know, know where we're coming from here. Sure. Founded in 1954 by my grandfather. We are third generation. My father, Jeff, Uncle Jim, and Uncle Perry were the second generation along with Trisha, uh, my aunt. And now Jim and Trisha are retired and uh, Jeff and Perry are working their way out and they are um, handing over the reins to five new owners. So just give me a little bit about the company. So you have about 100 employees? Yes, uh, 103. 103 employees and your third generation. What kind of stuff do you guys make? Luckily, we're pretty diverse. We're in the automotive industry, about 25, 20 to 25%. Aerospace is 20, 25%. Fluid power is our largest sector. 
ag construction. That's in the 40% range. And then we we have uh, our own Vanomatic fitting line of hose barbs, and we do some refrigeration work as well. Wow. Okay. So that's great diversification. Which sector has been um, the best lately and what's been the worst? So hydraulics, uh, fluid power, the construction and ag industry has been uh, really good. Uh, Aerospaces fell off the face of the earth for the most part, uh, but they're creeping back. Automotive, you know, with the chip shortage, we had three primary screw machines running automotive. We're down to two, but the capacity's starting to uh, fill up there. Okay. And what kind of equipment do you guys have? The majority of our equipment is engine five eights, VNA, Konomatic screw machines, eight spindles. And then uh, we also have a couple New Britons and we now have 10 Lycos and two Trofeo, Eurotech Trofeos. What's a tri- what's a trofeo? Is that like a twin spindle, twin turret, or? Yep, uh, big machine. Big machine. And for those people who aren't familiar with Konomatics, they're sort of the same ilk as an Acme. Uh, how would you describe it? Is, is the tool zone bigger on a Konomatic than an Acme? It is, and uh, they're just built super heavy. And um, we kind of took something that was good and kept it alive. And the machines can push uh, feed rates like no other. Interesting. And how many shops around you think are still using Konomatics? Very few. We're all in a little club together, and there, there's not a whole lot left. Mm-hmm. But you have no plans to to phase them out. We just bought four uh, additional Konomatics basically, you know, pretty low price scrap value almost, and we are rebuilding them. Wow. Okay. So you're doing high volume work, lots of different sectors. All right. Now give me, give me your two minute life story. Okay. Um, that's tough, but I'll give it a shot. Um, well, if I, if I tell people to give me a 10 minute life story, it might turn out to be 20. So two minutes might turn out to be five and that's acceptable. Right. I guess I would go off of uh, the major influencers, right? Um, Growing up with my mom and dad, uh, they taught me a couple things. Work ethic and you can do everything yourself from construction to anything. We didn't look outside very often. We were going to build a volleyball court. We got the post hole digger out. We uh, were totally different. We were just like, call the neighbor, call the (laughs) call the professional. (laughs) So you guys are do it yourselfers. We are do-it-yourselfers, and uh, you know that was my dad's major influence. And my mom is her work ethic is like no other. She's fantastic. So I grew up with that, and that was a good foundation. Uh, went to college for engineering at University of Dayton, and met my wife Kate, and she brought a a wonderful influence of observe and improve. We don't have to settle for the way things are. You can make it better break down some barriers, look at look at things fresh. If it's not right, work on changing it. Um, she, so that's helped with a lot of personal growth. Um, she doesn't work in the business, does she? She does not. She's a school teacher. Uh, but she's been with me, uh, you know, the entire career I've had here at Vanomatic and uh, a tremendous influence on uh, me personally. And you're, you're how old? 42? Is that what you told me? 43. 43. And uh, got three kids, Lucy, Blake, and Clara, 14, 12, and 9. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the, th- the third major influence for me personally is uh, there's these 
three kids that Kate and I have, and then they're all so different and unique and kind of helps direct management style a little bit and understanding uh, people are different and unique and there isn't a collective way to do things. You must modify. That is very astute. So you have 103 employees, you said, yeah? Yes, we're at the highest level of employment in company history. Wow. Okay. And right now, business is going very well. And record pace first half, numbers we've never seen. Okay. Which is like, you know, some of our other customers are saying similar things. But the other thing we're hearing from everybody is I can't find enough people. This sucks because I have all the work I could ever want in the world and I can't find the people to do it. So what are you guys feeling out there? We haven't had that experience and there's reasons for that. And I can go into that. That's what we what I want to focus on in this podcast. There's lots of really cool stuff we can talk about and probably have to have you on again. But I want to really focus on this specific thing. Why is finding employees not a big problem for you at the moment? A lot of people go straight to wage rate. And that's one very important, but uh, almost irrelevant piece of the pie for us. Now, it's important to everybody and you must be competitive. If you're not competitive on wages and you don't show progress and you don't show improvement through the years, you might as well stop there. Do you mind telling me what your wages are? You don't have to. So I won't give you a per hour rate. That wouldn't do it uh, justice, but we have some of our uh, skilled guys on the shop floor there, they're making sixty dollars to $80,000 a year. And we have uh, a lot of great benefits to go along with that. A lot of vacation time, a lot of PTO. Um, How long would it take to be at the company to be making sixty dollars to $80,000 a year? And also sixty dollars to $80,000 a year in, in Delphus, Ohio is probably like $100,000 a year in Chicago. Would you say that's true? Yes, cost of living here, it's a fairly small town, population 6,000. Uh, the largest city around us is Lima. So yeah, it's it's fairly good wage for the area. So 6,000 people are in the town. You've got some surrounding towns, yet you don't have that much trouble finding people for, for your shop. Um, all right, I'll stop interrupting you. Continue. <laughs> Step number one, you must be competitive on wages. Now, uh, we're there and everybody wants to make more. You want to make more. I want to make more. That's taken for granted, right? Everybody would like to make more money. But if a company is competitive, then it's the other items. Flexibility is a large, large thing at Banamatic. And I'll just give you a breakdown how we operate. Every two weeks, we sit down. We have a two-week strategy meeting. We look our customer demand and we evaluate uh, by department what kind of labor hours we need and what kind of machine hours we need. And we will generate a window of hours to be worked. So currently, for everybody in the shop, except for our primary production operators, we're operating under 35 minimum hours to 50 maximum hours. So this kind of goes back to, now I'll, I'll keep going, uh, the primary production operators, because our inventories are a bit low, we're on 45 to 60. So any employee, any title can work a minimum of 45 hours up to a maximum of 60 hours at their discretion outside of any approval from any supervisor or even me, director of operations. They have the choice, they have the ability to 
work within those ranges with no expectation to do anything otherwise. That is so interesting. What do you find the pattern people on the bottom end or more on the top end or? This kind of goes back to some of the influences, the parenting influence. Uh, yeah, this goes for the whole team. We're all in agreement. I have three kids. They're all so uniquely different. One's a, you know, one wakes up first thing in the morning. Two of them like to sleep until 10 or 11. That's it's no different with the employees. Uh, they all have different habits and structures and, and they're into different things. They're into different sports. They coach, they're in uh, teachers, they're wrestling coaches. They're, they have, you know, side things going on. Their kids are involved. So, uh, but they're all, they're all still talented. So you all want them rather than having to just fit them into a, a rigid schedule. And maybe it would be best stated uh, where we started was, four tens and an eight, uh, regardless of conditions, you work four tens and an eight night shift, day shift. And that's the way it works. You come in at seven, you clock out at five thirty, and Friday, you get a shorter day, eight hour day. You come in at seven and you clock out at three thirty, and your, your lunch breaks are on the buzzer. And, and that was probably 15 years ago. We abandoned that system. So now we give general guidelines, uh, day shift, has to start after 5.30 in the morning and night shift has to start after 3.30 in the afternoon. And throughout the week, they can put their hours in how they see fit up to a maximum of 12 hours and a minimum of a five-hour shift. So, you know, we don't want uh, people coming in, working two hours and leaving. So we've established, and after 12 hours, there's a bit of a burnout that we want to prevent. So could you work five hours one day and then 10 hours a different day? Or is he, do you need like kind of the same thing each day? The guys come and go as they, as they need to and as they please. And uh, you can imagine the challenge with that. I, I can walk out on the floor right now and not exactly know who's going to be there. But we don't manage the people. They manage themselves. We manage the work that needs to get done. And we manage the work that needs to get done so well, everybody always knows what's going on. So does one employee have to talk to another one and say, hey, I'm not going to be here that much today. You're going to have to pick up the slack for me. Or do you have enough redundancy that you don't have to worry about that? There's that mutual respect piece and everybody kind of knows how this works. So uh, we start on Sunday night at 3.30. It's going to be a skeleton crew. Uh, it's going to be maybe half a night shift. Uh, Monday, we're going to have a full day shift all the way through Thursday, and then Friday around 10 or 11, not many people are going to be left. So it's the, the start of the week and the end of the week, Thursday nights. It's about half the night shift, and people are putting in fewer hours. But through the middle of the week, some guys will work 10, some guys will work 11, some guys will work 12. Don't you have so much work right now, though, that if you could, you'd want people to work full days on Friday? Or you're just kind of like... This works. Whatever we're doing just works and the customers can wait. So that's a big uh, topic also. Our, our customers actually came to us and demanded that we implement a minimum 56 to 60 hours. Ah, interesting. And I told them, no, we are playing the long game. We are not going to burn out our employees and we are uh, we're going to operate with our own values and we are going to prevent turnover of skilled people. And the, the cost of not having employees that want to work at your company is far greater than upsetting a customer. 
And you're going to upset them even more if you drive your employees away. Wow. So do you guys have people that come from other shops because they're unhappy with their lifestyle there? Uh, yes, we've had several. And a lot of it comes down to mandated overtime. And even with our customers, they're experiencing 15, 20, 25% turnover. Uh, there's employees going to doctors, getting doctor's notes in order to not work the mandatory overtime. Yeah, right. So you're mandating this extra time and then you're not even getting the full output put out of it and you're making people unhappy. So yeah, that doesn't sound like a very good recipe, but what if you want to grow and get more work? Uh, from 2016 to 2021, we've uh, doubled in sales and uh, value output. So we are growing. We're growing, uh, you know, we're, we're at the highest employment level ever. And we deliver to our customers. We are probably one of the, the premier suppliers to our customers. And it's this Vanomatic first mentality that is the greatest benefit for the customer. Interesting. But it's a long-term gain, not a short-term week-by-week gain. So yeah, it's a much different viewpoint. And uh, you know, we've got a lot of tenure with our employees, uh, average tenures of 15 to 17 years. This brings me something else that we had talked about. Um, so you have a tenure, average tenure, you told me 17 years. Okay, 15, 17 years. However, you, you value uh, a lot of employees that are going to come and go, like young people, maybe they're part-time, maybe, you know, it, it almost sounded like, you know, you hear in white collar jobs where people know that they're like a stepping stone. Somebody's going to come there, they're going to work two, three years, and then they're going to go back to business school or go somewhere else. Do you guys have something like that as well? Absolutely. We have uh, a large part-time component. 14 of the 103 employees are part-time. Um, what does part-time mean? How many hours is that? They're under the same statutes as everybody else. So 35 to 50 or uh, you know, 45 to 60 if they're on the primary machines. If they're part-time though, what's the least they could work? We're very flexible. If they're, if they're a student at one of the local colleges, you know, we'll work with them. It could be like 10 hours? It could be 10, it could be 15, it could be 20. There's a large range in what people do. So you're pulling people from local colleges, you're involved in high school recruitment to some extent? Yes, uh, we currently have nine employees from Vantage Career Center, which is a high school career center. And we have uh, four from UNOH, which is a low two-year college in Lima. And, um, and Lima is right nearby. Yep, 20 minutes away. So these guys are great, fantastic. And m many of the uh, the guys from Vantage are full-time now. And through summer help, we'll pull in. Um, I sit on the robotics advisory board at UNOH and Steve and Scott sit on the uh, precision manufacturing at Vantage. Board. Okay, UNOH, is that's higher education? Yes, that's the two-year tech school. And people are pulled from where? Mainly Ohio? Uh, we've, we had guys working at from Arizona, Maine, Texas, uh, all over the country. They, they come. And that's nearby? Yeah, that's in Lima. People come all the way from Arizona to Lima, Ohio? Oh, yeah. 
But why? This is just known as a place if you're interested in manufacturing, engineering. What are they studying there? Robotics, diesel engines. They have a racing team. Uh, It's a big draw for mechanically minded people. So this is just an advantage, uh, a blessing that you have being so close to this place. Correct. It's a luxury in a way, which is so interesting because you're in a town of 6,000 people and I'm assuming Lima isn't, I mean, it's not huge. So you're in a spot with not a lot of people, yet you are pulling from like a nice concentrated group of people that are interested in what you guys are doing. Yes. And they need the flexibility and we offer the flexibility. They can't come in and, you know, punch a clock from this time to this time, they need to kind of come and go as they... Right, because they're students. They're students. They have a test on Friday. They can't come in on you know Thursday. So uh, we work with them very well. And- that is so interesting. You're the first person I've talked to like that. I mean, other people talk about people interning or apprenticeship or... But, you know, I guess it goes well with your flexible system. And is this something that really helps attract younger people? It does. Um, I wouldn't even say younger people. I'd say all people. Yeah. His time, time is like the most precious thing we have. And as you said, the money is pretty good, but time is the one thing you can't get back. You can always make more money. Right. And, you know, when you have that choice, if, you know, there's competitive wages, but you have all this flexibility, that's, that's why we get longevity and treat our employees good. We, you know, consistently and put through wage increases, add additional benefits. You know, the success of the company goes to the entire company. And I think the employees truly believe and know this and trust this. And um, was it hard to make this change? Was it hard to get your to get the previous generation to adopt this? And what what caused you to come up with this idea? Did you try to emulate another company you saw? So now we're getting to the influence, right? Like we, we observe and improve and, and we're observing and we're questioning, like, does it have to be this way? And can we change it? Can we make it better? And of course, you know, there's been influences from other PMPA companies. A good one that prompted a lot of this was uh, Jeff Olemacher. Oh, okay. Very, very, very astute guy. I think once upon a time, I tried to get him on the podcast, but he's a tough guy to reach. Really, really smart guys. He won't even remember this. <laughs> uh, but I, we're, sitting, we're sitting in the lounge at a PMPA event, and I overhear him talking about this process he's doing in his company. And it was called Start, Stop, Improve. Uh, you know, and, and this is me eavesdropping. Uh, I'm not even part of the discussion. But uh, we take Star Stop and Proof, and me and my brother Scott sat down with every single employee for about five years in a row, and we asked them on a company level, uh, what would you start, stop, improve, a department level, and an individual level. And this is coming off of the four tens and an eight era, and they they put us back in our chairs. They said, you know, they told us everything. They were open, they were honest, and we logged and logged and logged all all the, uh, the comments. Now oh, wow. that is so cool. And so this was one of the top things that you said, what was on your wish list of if we could do anything that would make your life better. And they said flexibility. There were a number of things, uh, our communication processes, our, uh, scheduling systems are, and yes, flexibility. Um, I've got all this going on and 
And some of it was just knowing the employees, knowing what they're involved in, re- constant requests for, hey, you know, I want to coach, but I need to coach at three o'clock. This is going to be tough. Um, we also had a local company that was testing the waters with flexible hours. And, and we kind of stole some ideas from them as well. And basically one day we said, you know what, business is down. I think it was 2009. And, uh, you know, the recessionary period right, is down for everybody. Right. We're working 48 hours regardless, because that's what we did. And that's what we always did. So we simply put out, hey, guys, you can work a maximum of 48, but you can work down to 40 if you want. And that first week, it was like, we can do what? Uh, And you're doing what? And in a way, you kind of wanted them to work less because you didn't have the work. Right. And it was almost necessary at that point to scale back and just make it optional. And, you know, week after week after week of doing it, we've never looked back and we've learned uh, a lot along the way. Well, talk about what you did recently during the pandemic, because it sounds like it was a little bit like that, but on a much greater scale. Sure. So, of course, um, at one moment, we thought we were going to completely close down. Um, and then we quickly started getting. Um, so what are you talking about? Like maybe April of 2020? Yes. Yep. As soon as, you know, the states started taking actions, we were talking to each other that, okay, we're going to have to shut down and see how this goes. And then the customers started calling and sending letters and uh, uh, we are an essential supplier. So uh, we stayed open. Uh, of course, the sales took a giant downturn. Uh, we, in May of uh, 2020, we were down 50%. And at that point, we told the employees, um, you can work zero hours up to 50 hours. So if you're not comfortable working, don't work. And we'll help you sign up for un- unemployment and take the kicker. And, um, you know, it's people, you mean, if people didn't feel comfortable health wise, health wise, um, any pre-existing conditions, maybe their children were at home, right? And they needed to watch them. Correct. So completely optional zero to 50. And for about four weeks, we had probably 30 to 40 percent of our staff that worked. And and you even you even helped people get the government assistance, correct? Scott, uh, director of human resources, worked with them uh, whenever they needed to sign, help them sign up and got them government assistance throughout the whole process. That is so interesting. So you could keep somebody on the books as your employee, yet they could still get the government assistance? Well, they went on unemployment. Uh, We signed them up and they did not work. Right. They weren't actually like tied to the company anymore. They were just sort of, you kind of had like an informal, not agreement, but I guess you, it sounds like you guys were confident that they would want to come back when it was time. At the time, we did, we had no idea what was going to happen. We we knew that you know sales was cut significantly. We knew there was uh, a lot of concern about the pandemic, and so we instituted the flexibility, all the uh, cleaning protocols. And after that four week period, we applied for the PPP money, and then um, as is the Vanomatic way, we. Uh, gave all the employees that worked those four weeks a 27% bonus on their wages for that time period. So the people that stayed 
got extra incentive. Correct. And then from that point on, even though you didn't want everybody to stay, that would have been difficult for you if everybody stayed and you had to give them 27% increase. Correct. Uh, We wouldn't have had anything to do. There would have been no machines to run because we couldn't afford to uh, build inventory. So, so why would, why would all these people accept the layoff or accept the decreased hours when they knew if they kept on, they could get the 27% increase and maybe their families were suffering and maybe, I don't know. It just kind of worked out that way. And the the 27% was a decision we made later on, you know, through the whole PPP process. So that was awarded after the fact, but there was some competition to, once things started picking back up, there was some competition with the federal assistance So we implemented a $5 an hour on top of their regular wages uh, incentive to work. So like, because everybody's complaining, uh, how am I supposed to compete with that government assistance? How am I supposed to get people back? And so you just said, pay them enough that it makes sense for them. And plus they like you guys. So they wanted to come back. Absolutely. And basically they, you know, the layoffs were voluntary and most of our workforce said, hey, if you need me, I'll come back. Just let me know. Wow. So we navigated fairly well through, you know, through the, the big drop and then the, uh, the return. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give for companies right now? I mean, I guess the government assistance is ending unless all of a sudden <laughs> things, things go backward. Who knows what's going to happen? But, you know, a lot of these companies are feeling depleted. Is there anything they can do that's quick? Um, make sure their wages are competitive. That's like step number one. Uh, second step is understand that uh, uh, Americans are very individualistic. And if, if you're operating your company as a collective unit, all under the same structure, hours, system, you're not going to satisfy everybody. And the people that are not satisfied are going to be the ones that leave. That is really, really interesting. So just a couple more questions. What was the highlight of this week? Oh, boy. Besides getting interviewed. Right. Um, This week was the largest breakdown uh, in our central chip system that the company has ever experienced. (laughs) Oh, so that's the highlight. Our chip system, it's a central system. And on Sunday night at 10 p.m., I walked back and uh, look at our reservoir that holds 14,000 gallons of oil and there was no oil in it. It was in our containment pit. And uh, we knew at that point that uh, we had a hole in our extractor unit and it was buried in a six foot deep pool of oil. Wow. So we executed very well to uh, remove the oil, find the hole, patch the hole, fix the hole, put everything back together. And as of yesterday at 6 p.m., we were back to full production. So the low light and the highlight. Yes, that's what we do. We observe and improve. Uh, That's that's our culture. So uh, we have five items that are going to make us a lot better company coming out of this breakdown that are going to resolve our issues permanently. Man, you totally have your shit together. You know, it's Vanomatic stands by unity empowerment teamwork, and it's not just a tagline. It's the real deal. Through this, we have these oil supply lines that feed the machines with oil. And because of our breakdown, the oil main oil pumps uh, picked up a bunch of shavings and they clogged this line. So, you know, we spent two days 
cleaning this line out and it was very tough physical work and our maintenance crew and our material handling crew are fantastic. But uh, one of the guys, John Munoz says, we need to do regular PM on this. And of course, you know, I jump in, I start cutting him off. He's like, no, come on. And I just had to shut up and listen for a minute. He's like, let's do this. Let's, let's improve the system. So, you know, we save the wear and tear on ourselves. And so that was one of the five items is the John valve that's going to clean these systems out, you know, on a regular basis. And John's going to lead it and he's going to work with an outside company to design and and build it and retrofit it. So that's the empowerment piece that we look for every opportunity. Is he in, he's part of the management team or? No, he's part of the maintenance crew. Right, so he, he just, is, he just uh, took ownership. Yeah. And uh, Rodney Wagner, James Cooley, John Munoz, Jake Lyons. He's a new guy that um, they got us up and running again. And they did it voluntarily. They put in 70 hours. They, you know, did what they needed to do. And um, because they care. Well, I think that pretty much sums it up well. And um, do you have anything else to say to the people of the world? Um, I guess people deserve their time. Their job is not their life. Um, Try to find the work-life balance. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Today's